Welcome to the Shady Grove Radio Podcast, a production of Shady Grove United Methodist Church in Mechanicsville, Virginia. Turn your radio on, turn your radio on, and listen to the music in the air. Turn your radio on, turn your radio on, and glory share. This week we'll hear a sermon from Pastor Darcy entitled, You Are So That, based on Matthew 5, 13 through 20. Turn your radio on. Good morning. My name is Natasha Nielsen, and I will be reading from the NRSV version of the Bible, Matthew 5, verses 13 through 20. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray together. Gracious God. Our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your presence here, for waking us up this morning and bringing us into this space and into this place of worship. And we pray, God, now that you will speak for your people are listening. God, as we reflect on the gospel proclamation, may the words of my mouth, the offering of this interpretation, And the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For indeed, you are our rock and our redeemer. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, I must admit that I have been nostalgic since we took our eldest daughter to college two weeks ago tomorrow. It's one of those life threshold moments that as you step forward over it, it causes you to look back and reflect on the phases of their life and yours up into that time. So you think about parenting and you think about what a gift it is and also what a challenge it is. One that has you leaning upon God for wisdom, perhaps at every turn. Um, One poet said it this way, making the decision to have a child, it is momentous. It is to decide forever to have your heart go walking around outside your body. (laughs) 
And so as a part of parenting, um, from the moment they arrive into this world and they place that little seven-pound or so lump of love into your arms, um, or you meet them through fostering or adoption, um, as you parent throughout their life, you, you begin, you make what I call identity proclamations over their life and into their life. Do you know identity proclamations? So these are statements that we make into the life of another person that we hope will shape and form the very understanding and the notion of who they are. Identity proclamations. And, and these are statements, they form the identity, um, the nature of a person. I remember when we brought Thea, our youngest, home from the hospital. I'm just shining in on Thea because she's the one I remember the most, right? Because it only happened like three years ago. Um, we looked at this little baby and we said, you are adorable with cheeks that are resting on your shoulders. You are smart. Look at you tracking with your eyes a full week before the book said that you would, right? <laughs> Even though we know there's a wide range of developmental on-pointness, you are prolific. I had no idea so much could emit from someone so small, right? You are. And then we included the entire family within these identity proclamations. You are a great big sister. You are such an amazing hands-on dad. You are patient. You are. Notice we didn't say that your cheeks look cute or you act like a good big sister. No, we gave it an upgrade to an identity proclamation from behavioral observations to identity. You are. Because we wanted them to permeate into the core of who they are. You are identity proclamations. They're important because the statements that we make to other people on this level, it does go into form and shape their self-understandings, an understanding of their capabilities, of their proclivities. I mean, it, it forms them as a person. So you have to be aware of what kind of, of um, identity proclamations are we making into the lives of our children, into the lives of our spouse or significant relationships, um, into our, our friendships. Um, even within our own self-talk, we make identity proclamations, right? You are dot, 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 and we have to be aware of that because, right, they can, identity proclamations can cut both ways. They can either build up or they can, you know, tear down. And so I'm often mindful, right, as we're headed back to school, I think about how teachers and coaches have a real opportunity um, to speak these really life-changing and edifying um, identity proclamations into the lives of people because they affect, they shape, and they form how people understand who they are and what they can do. It's powerful stuff when you think about it, right? It's the difference, and I'm not perfect at this, by saying to your child, right, your room is a hot mess versus you are a hot mess, amen, right? Oh, and you know, our track record, all of us are a little spotty on that, but the identity proclamations are really significant and important, and Jesus knew this. He knew the power of identity proclamations because that's what we hear in our gospel reading from Matthew's gospel, chapter 5. We hear Jesus making identity proclamations upon the people that are gathered there. Did you hear them? He said, you are the salt of the earth. You are what? 
the light of the world. You are. Now, Matthew chapter 5, it kicks off um, chapters 5 through 7 in Matthew's gospel, and it's the longest consecutive series of Jesus's straight-up teachings within all four of the gospels. Um, And it's known, this collection is known as the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus is teaching. There's a crowd there, probably around a thousand people, and he's teaching continuously um, about how the, uh, the Jewish notion of law is not being abolished. It's being fulfilled. It's being fleshed out. It's being lived into in this clarification that God is sending into the world through Jesus. And it's a mixed crowd. There's people there who are are those who have decided to follow Jesus, so they're disciples, not only the core 12, but, but we know there was also a peripheral um, layer of disciples, of people who followed Jesus. Um, and then there were folks who were trying to decide if this rabbi was whom they wanted to follow. And then there were folks who just wanted some novelty in the day, right? And they heard there was a traveling preacher through town, and they said, let's go check this out, right? To all of them, Jesus said, if you want to be my follower... My disciple, let me tell you what it means. You, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are. Now, salt and light, they feature all throughout Scripture, the very opening letters and words of the book of Genesis, the very thing God says into the swirl of chaos that was the beginning of creation. God said what? Let there be light. And there was Right? Salt and light feature all throughout, but Jesus uses them as a metaphor in very particular ways within this passage from Matthew's gospel. Because both salt and light, in the way in which Jesus employs them, they both affect the environments around them. Right? That's the similarity. The slight difference, though, is that salt is an enhancer, um, and light it shines on, it ultimately and utterly transforms the environment in which it's in, right? So salt is an enhancer. When you go out to eat, you don't say, I would like an entree of salt with a side of salt with a salt chaser, right? You don't say that, right? No, we say, we, we, I would like my food, and then we decide how much salt we would like to put on it. As we were reminded this morning, some people don't like salt, right? And some for health reasons, you got to look at how much salt you consume. But salt, its function There's a preserving function and there's an enhancing function. It brings out the flavors of the food that it graces. Think of caramel. The only thing that makes caramel better is what? Sea salt, salted caramel. Um, The power of light is that it impacts the room or the road or the person that it touches and it allows us to orient ourselves in a new way, going from darkness to light, from shadow to illumination. Both salt and light, they transform, they impact the environment in which they're in. One as an enhancer um, and one as a transformer. They impact the the spaces that they occupy, they brighten, um, they salt, and they light. Things are different because salt and light have been there. So Jesus gives these identity proclamations. He says, you are salt. You are light. And he goes on to to almost question, like, are you seasoning with grace the places where you inhabit? Are you shining the light of mercy into the spaces that you occupy, where you go to work, where you go to school, within your friend group? 
In other words, are things different because you have been there? Are places more seasoned, more illumined because you're there? You know, I was in the post office several months ago, um, and there was an elderly woman who had approached the counter, um, and she was trying to send a package, and there was some confusion about um, information, and so they got that sorted out, and all the while, you know, the line is, is growing and wrapping around and approaching the door, um, and then, then it came time to pay the shipping for the package, and she pulled out her wallet and said, oh, no, oh, no, and, and, and she was trying to, to, to pull out money that essentially wasn't there. She didn't have enough, and the employee behind the counter was really trying to be gracious and kind, but you could look back at the line, and there were people rolling their eyes, sighing loudly, and she was trying. You know, there was some goodness coming from this employee, but it was as if God said, you know what, we need to season this place and take this up a notch. So there was already goodness there, but then suddenly there was a young man with skinny jeans and long dreads, and he sprung forward. He left his place in line, and he said, don't you worry about a thing, ma'am. How much do you need? And he pulled out the money, and he placed it on the counter, and she said, just thank you so much. I grabbed my wrong wallet when I left the house this morning. And they talked, and he walked with her out the door, held the door open for her, said goodbye, and he stepped back into the room. And the eye rollers, you know what they did? They held the door for him. And those sires, they held his place in line. And someone said, you know, that was really kind. Thank you for doing that. And someone else said, you know, my mom is older and she lives out of town and we're not, we're not right there with her in the day-to-day -day and I sure hope somebody would do that for her if she needed it. I'm talking about shining the light or, or letting the salt season the goodness that was already there because I tell you, after what he did, the environment in that post office changed because you know what kind of attitude can live in a post office, Right? right? It's kind of like the DMV, right? There's like thick, amen. There's thick with frustration. You're frustrated you have to be there in the first place, and then people judging the people who forgot their addresses or can't find a pen or aren't properly prepared, and the pace of the employees. But because of this man's actions, it became a place of light spiced with generosity. It was as if all of us remembered who we were really supposed to be. It scattered the negativity and the judgment. You are. Now, I get it small. This is an act of kindness. You know, God raised the notch of a kindness that was already trying to transpire. And there's times where, where being salt and being light, it, trans, it transfers into acts of, of justice in the world. But I tell you, it matters, even if it's small, if, it, if it's something significant that God's asking you to do, because you are salt and you are light. And if we claim to follow Jesus, we best be acting like it. Whether we are in the driver's seat or on the basketball court or while texting friends. Jesus puts it this way. I mean, he really raises the bar when you hear that. He's good. What's good is salt. If it's lost, it's saltiness. We're not seeking to allow ourselves to season the world in the name of Christ. He says it gets thrown out. It gets trampled underfoot. This is how people come to know the kingdom. God chooses to work through us. Ah, and amazing, humbling. We must be adding to the light and not participating in the shadows. You know, I remember I was scrolling through social media. It's been a couple of years ago now. And a post 
caught my attention. It was a friend of ours uh, named Andy, and um, I worked with his wife at a youth ministry program when we were in seminary. That's how we knew them. They currently live in Colorado. He was the director for the Metro Habitat for Humanity in Denver for a while. Now he manages a Christian camp in Montana during the summer after they dig out, right, of all the snow. Um, he posted that someone at his church had left the church at their passing $20,000 with the request that the church use this money um, for mission outside of the church. And the missions committee and church, they, the leadership prayed. Um, they researched and they decided to donate this $20,000 to an organization called RIP Medical Debt, or Rest in Peace Medical Debt. And so this organization buys up medical debt, sold to collection agencies, sometimes for pennies on the dollar owed, and then this nonprofit in turn refuses to collect and declares the debt paid to individuals and families. Now, as you may know, medical debt is identified as one of the primary factors that leads people towards bankruptcy within our nation. Some 100 million Americans are currently struggling with some sort of health care debt. So their church received word several months after the gift that with their $20,000, they were able to abolish, they bought up and they abolished $3.5 million in medical debt for 1,306 1, families and individuals um, in Alabama, Texas, and California. It sounds like a loaves and fishes story, doesn't it? But I just sat for a moment and I thought, can you imagine? Can you imagine sitting at your kitchen table, weary from months and months of collection agencies calling, people sending letters, the stress of those relentless calls, while also trying to heal from some sort of medical issue, maybe it was a surgery, maybe it was some kind of treatment, or you were supporting someone who was healing. And then you open up an envelope to hear that your medical debt had been paid in full by the church. Now, they, they had to apply, and there's standards set for those who are, are invited or accepted into the program. But can you imagine the light that literally streamed out of that envelope and scattered the shadow of stress and the burden that many of those families were carrying. Can you imagine that? And when Andy, he shared this on social media, he prefaced it by saying, all right, everyone, stop what you're doing. Take a break. I want to tell you some good news of what the church is doing in the world and just how amazing God is. You are Jesus reminds us, people who are seasoned and illuminating, we're making a difference because of the one who has made all the difference in our lives. But Jesus goes on. He adds one additional layer within this gospel account. Imagine that, Jesus adding layers onto things. He says, you are, identity proclamation, so that. You are so that um, you will impact the places where you go, whether it's the courtroom or the general assembly or the lunchroom, so that people will see the goodness and mercy that you do and glorify your God in heaven. The life of discipleship, in other words, means that it's, it's no longer just about us. 
or even our family or the people with whom we agree or our friends or those whom we follow. Being a disciple means that we care most about representing God who made us and we try to reflect back just a a, a tablespoon, a spark of the reckless love of God that redeems us in Jesus Christ. We do good. We do good because, quite frankly, we need the practice. Amen? We do, we do good um, so that God can continue to build us up with character and with integrity. Uh, we do good um, because people need us to do so. And, you know, regarding salt as an enhancer, you know, we believe that God is at work for good all day, all night, always and everywhere in the world. We believe that. And so our our identity as salt, as an enhancer, is simply joining in with what God is already up to in the world. Because receiving a kind action, it's a powerful thing. Even more so is being connected to that source, that power, through relationship with God and Jesus Christ. You are so that. So this morning, I hope that you hear Jesus making some identity proclamations um, upon you. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. So that we can go out this week and make a tangible, discernible, noticeable difference in the spaces, places where we go with whomever we are with. And I can assure you there will be plenty of opportunities this week. I pray that we may resist the apathy of doing nothing or joining in with the negativity and thus losing the saltiness and hiding the light. I pray that our actions will follow the light of the world and we will scatter shadows this week and thwart the darkness that wants to influence and get a foothold in all of our lives. And remember, you are so that people may look at your lives at our lives, and come to know and see in real time the God who has made them and redeems them. You are so that be these. Let us pray. God, thank you for speaking identity proclamations over us. We remember, God, at the very beginning of your ministry, when you were baptized, God said, this is my son, my beloved, in whom I'm well pleased. You are forever speaking these identity proclamations over us. And today we hear loud and clear that you say you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. God, we pray that we might season, we might enhance, join in with what you're already doing. And we pray, God, that we can shine for you. Shine goodness, yes. Also, God, shine in such a way that it scatters shadows. It it scatters darkness that's seeking to take root. Come, Holy Spirit, so that we can season and illumine for you. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Get a little heaven down in your soul. Get in touch with God. Turn your radio on. Turn your radio on. Turn your radio on. Listen to the music in the air. Turn your radio on. Turn your radio on. Let glory share. Turn your lights down. Turn your lights down low. And listen to the master's radio. Get in touch with.